My name is Ryan Broderick, and I am not feeling super hot about the way my country's political landscape looks at the moment. Uh, I am Luke Bailey, and I am feeling too hot, but unfortunately can't cool down because I can't access any ice cubes. Oh, man. I Okay, wait. Before we get into this, welcome to the Content Minds. All right, <laughs> let's talk about ice cubes. <laughs> Dude, like, okay, so I've had some time off this week. So whenever I have time off, I like delete Twitter and I'm I'm off and I'm not like on the internet. And then Healthy. you messaged me this, and I immediately lost like two hours into it. Really? Wait, did I ru- I ruined like your Twitter break? You've ruined my it? you've ruined my day. Yeah. So if you don't know what we're talking about, congratulations, your brain is normal. Let me let me pull up the tweet because I uh it took me like. I feel like this didn't used to be as bad of a problem as it is now, but like I just see a lot of people tweeting about something and I'm like, I have no idea what any of you are talking about. And then I have to spend, you know, literal minutes of my life trying to figure out what everyone's side tweeting about. I think what it is now is it's it's the way that everyone is just much quicker to the viral thing. So yeah. once it goes viral, everyone's like, oh shit, it's time for my dunk on it. And everyone does the same dunk at the same time. And as a result, like the algorithm then just can't figure out what's real because there's just too many tweets about it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I think there's something to be said about a website in which no one is talking directly about the thing they're all talking about possibly being a pretty broken website but okay yep so this all started the morning no i'm sorry started when did this start this started it started in the evening i think yeah okay because then it then it became a thing the next morning right right which is which is always like classic twitter it's basically that the cycle is someone in america says something like dumb or weird or offensive or whatever and then but normally notices because everyone in america is like they're all like they're tired fuck off they're gonna they're gonna sleep or whatever yes uh and then the next day it appears on the top of everyone's um twitter algorithmic search things you may have missed or whatever yeah yeah exactly because it's had like a little bit of engagement because it's a weird thing so it fires the top of everyone's search. Suddenly everyone gets it at the same time and goes, what the fuck is this? Right. Okay. So this it becomes huge. Four hours later, America wakes up and then everyone goes to hell. So this particular stupid thing uh, was tweeted by Matthew Iglesias, who, if you are not on the internet, Matthew Iglesias is a uh, chronic over-tweeter um, and sort of like a neoliberal punching bag for leftist circles. He's probably the dumbest smart person on the internet. He just has like this inability to not say any dumb thing that pops into his head. And he also like does a, a, a thing that a lot of people who are addicted to Twitter do that is really bad, which is double down on their insane thing via a thread. And this is exactly what Matty Iglesias did yep. on Monday night, which is he tweeted, the best indicator of how poorly the U.S. has handled COVID-19 is that a lot of conservatives are debasing themselves to the level where, look... It's not that much worse than Europe is meant to be a defense. We're talking about a continent where they don't have ice cubes. <laughs> so obviously British people did that thing that British people do where you guys get all offended at like kind of a harmless jab by bringing up and then you guys start bringing up like school shootings and dying in medical debt and that's like a thing that you guys all do which yeah the dying in medical debt thing has got like really out of hand like everyone's just like at least don't die from medical debt and it's like all right like no like normally it would be like an american tweeting like wow british people drink warm beer and then like a british person being like your child will be gunned down in the hallway of their school tomorrow (laughs) and it's like oh and then and then we'll not be able to afford the medical bills right it's like oh Okay, I, uh, sure, these things are comparable. Um, although Matthew Iglesias proceeded to double and triple down on his Europeans don't have ice cubes thing by tweeting that Italy and Spain are very nice, great food, been on fun vacations to both countries. <laughs> but they're ca- per- <laughs> Which, uh, I just, I love that as like, the, the, it's such a, like an amazingly condescending compliment to them. It's like, hey, your economy sucks, but you know, your food's okay. Yeah, yeah, but their per capita GDPs are closer to Mexico than the USA. This is a sad comparison class we found ourselves in. And then he tweeted a third time can, sorry can i do the like the wong version of like that makes absolutely no sense it makes no fucking sense because okay that is technically true in that like the u.s is at like sixty-five thousand. italy and spain are at thirty-five thousand. mexico is like ten thousand. but the difference between ten thousand per capita gdp and thirty-five thousand is a ocean compared to the difference between like thirty-five thousand, sixty-five thousand. particularly when you have a country like the u.s which is like insanely unequal compared to european countries and their socialized healthcare and all, all those also, things. European countries are part of the EU. 
So, you know, taking them individually might not exactly give you the most accurate depiction of quality of life there. Yeah. Uh, he tweeted a third time. Here's America versus, quote, fancy Europe, quote, PPP adjusted GDP per capita is greater than $55,000. We're somehow doing worse than Sweden, which didn't try to halt the spread of the virus. But yes, better than Latin Europe, which in turn is better than Latin America. So I need to point out, like, British people don't really use ice cubes. Right. Okay. So this is this is where you're wrong. <laughs> they really don't. No, so you lived, you lived in the UK for, what, three, four years? I was there for four years, yeah. You were there for four years. And on that, all that time, you never had an ice cube? No, I had ice cubes, but they're not... Okay, you guys have smaller ice cubes than us. They typically don't come unless you ask specifically for ice cubes. And it, it's, part okay, of a, I, it's part of a whole thing in which... There's also not water constantly offered to you at restaurants where instead most like European restaurants and British restaurants, they just stick the thing on the table and then you have to ask for them to refill it. And chances are they won't refill it. That's because you're in an out and therefore should be drinking alcohol. Right. But sometimes... What is this obsession with drinking water? This is where the problem comes from. It's not... I, so... This is funny to me because I don't think Americans drink more water. In fact, I think they probably drink a lot less water because we're like gross. And, like, disgusting people. I think Americans are obsessed with getting water delivered to their tables because it's a way to constantly make sure that they're being waited on by servers. That makes sense. Whereas, yeah, in the UK, if you, you have the... Uh, if you have an American style service and someone's like super attentive and keeps asking you, uh, can I help you with anything? You start to wonder if there's something wrong with them or you. Or, you know, if someone asks you more than three times in 10 minutes, like, are you okay? Do you need anything? They're probably talking to you at like 11 o'clock and trying to kick you out of the pub. I was going to say, the only time I've ever experienced American style service in Europe is when you're in the restaurant, you are the only person left in the restaurant yep. and they're try, trying to get the you the fuck out of there. Um, okay, but so, sorry, so aside from water, what drinks are you missing ice from? Okay, here's a good one. If you were to go, okay, wait, I'm, now I'm packing this a bit more. You guys don't really do fountain drinks in general, actually. We do do fountain drinks, but oh, you okay. Just, if you, you do, just never had one. If you do, <laughs> if you well, I, I'm not. So I don't really drink soda. I, I drink carbonated water, and that's pretty much it. But I will say, okay, the few times that I would go to like get fast food or something, if you get a fountain soda there, they do not put ice in it. No, they do put ice in it. You're, you're just flat out wrong. If you they put very ice little it. ice in it. Like they very put a little. small amount of ice in it, but that because you then get more of the drink because American sodas are just bigger like so in a fast food restaurant you have like i don't know the one liter soda the three liter soda and the five liter soda or whatever it is it's something like that uh you have so much they're like we can put a lot of ice in this in the uk where we have like human-sized cups that that people would drink uh rather than like you know a small elephant then you have the ice you don't have much less ice in it so you can actually get a decent amount of the drink in it but and it's the same with refills. It's also the free refills issue. You have free refills with everything. We don't. Well, no, that dep it depends on where you are because that can be very, it can be very contentious here. But yes, th there is sort of an assumption in America that I'm going to be receiving unlimited of whatever I've asked for. Yeah, and we don't have the same assumption because that you don't. You get what you pay for, and that's that's it. The first the th this is true. The first thing that I did when I got back to America after being like gone for four years and I moved back. And I woke up the next morning, and the first thing I did was go to an American-style diner where I sat and drank unlimited water and unlimited coffee for, like, two hours. <laughs> and the server would come over and ask me about my day and say, like, hey, honey, how you doing? And I was just like, Ugh. I'm home. I can just drink these fluids, this watered-down, burnt coffee, and this ice-cold water in a plastic cup. It was beautiful. And how's someone being nice to you? That's just... That's unpleasant. That's it, unpleasant it, it did actually make me uncomfortable. After four years of just like never being acknowledged in public <laughs> by service workers, it was really, really weird to like have someone be like, how are you and what are you doing? Like, it was strange. I just think it's weird to make people like do a job, but also expect them to appear to enjoy it. That seems unfair to me. I agree. I actually don't. And, and now that I'm accustomed to it, like I find it a waste of time where I'm like, we don't have to do this. Like we don't have yeah. to, <laughs> like we, you don't have to know my name. You don't know how, you don't have to know who I am. Don't ask me about my day. Just give me the thing <laughs> and let me get the hell out of here. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this whole I, I'm not, I'm not on a power trip. I'm not like some weirdo who's like wanting you to pretend like you're my best friend. Yeah. Okay. So what we're essentially establishing is that the UK doesn't give you enough ice in 
water or soda. I that's 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 the the gist of this. I think that is true. I, I are you putting ice? Are you putting ice in anything else? Do you put ice in wine? No, we don't put. Well, uh, some people yeah, pe- some people put ice in white wine. Yeah, I guarantee Ma- Manny Iglesias was in like uh, a nice Barcelona front bar. I had a nice glass of white wine and was like, "Hey, where's the ice?" Can I have my ice in my white wine? Wait, wait. You sent me this reply to to Matt, Matty Iglesias' tweet, which is so grim and perfect, which is my favorite. It's an American responding. My favorite memory of Italy is wandering the streets of Florence, trying to find a place that would give me ice so I could make an Aperol spritz at my hotel. That is just amazing. I, aside from anything else, like Aperol spritz is kind of like a fake recent drink. It's not like the real Italian drink, but it's just corn, corn of the market. I remember the summer... That like some weird European marketing firm was like Aperol spritzes for summer, baby, and it was fucking everywhere. There was Aperol spritz stations in major airports that you could go and sit in like a fake Riviera beachfront and drink Aperol spritz. It was like it was crazy. It was like 2015. It just like everyone was like Aperol spritz for summer. That's it. But it was it was. I mean, it was it was nice. Like there are nice Aperol spritz are fun drink. They're fine. What, what is so crazy about that is though Aperol spritz has like five ingredients. So you need Aperol, you need Prosecco, you need sparkling water you need ice and you need an orange which you also need a knife to cut up to put in it yeah so what are you doing like what you you gotta make a drink with six ingredients like if you want to drink at your hotel like get a cheap bottle of wine have that before you go out or have that once you get back or whatever whatever whichever scenario you're for some reason drinking in your hotel making like a six ingredient drink at your hotel which is also not going to have a freezer so your ice is going to melt you get one shot at this no you know you're gonna have to drink an entire bottle of aperol that's what you're yeah, gonna have which... to do. Well, I think this this part of like a thing that I notice a lot of American tourists do when they go to Europe, which is like, and actually I think fits into the theme of this week's episode, uh, which is that they're very obsessed with the idea of where they are and sort of like yeah. they want to do simulated European activities, but have no real connection to the place that they're at. Yeah, there's, there's, it's why, you know, whenever you go abroad, you will inevitably at some point stumble over an American bar, which is always an Irish bar. Always. Like it's an Irish-themed bar with American college football jerseys yes. on, on the ceiling. And then it's full of Americans and Italians trying to pick up the Americans. Yes. And that's it's everywhere. And it's like, well, what, why are you doing this? What is What do you think is happening here i mean i will point out though the brits do a similar thing in which you guys put like a disgusting british style pub in every european vacation town and you all just like eat gross breakfast there and get completely that's hammered. true like that's a thing yeah well, well if you go on holiday what you really want when you're in spain <laughs> is a full english breakfast yeah at nine o'clock in the morning because like that is perfect to, for a really hot weather to eat in 90 and, degree weather yeah and then also, you know, four hours or six hours of Sky Sports in the afternoon so you can watch all the football be missing. Okay, so I will say... That's a good holiday. If there, if there are ever vacations again and people ever get to travel, my best tip for you is land in the new city, find out immediately where they're serving English-style breakfast in a pub, and then go to the exact opposite part of town and have a much better time yes that, i would agree with that <laughs> or if you want to do if you want to do a fun way like go to i don't know let's say mallorca spend like two nights in that town experience it become part one with the british culture yeah then leave that town and go somewhere else in the same country that's much nicer i think that's i think it's a great idea um god i miss planes and traveling and stuff <laughs> wow Okay, this week we got a, a kind of a heady topic, but I think it's a good one, and I think it's one that we've been sort of building towards for a while now, which is I want to talk about simulation theory and the idea, not the traditional simulation theory, which is like we are in some sort of like artificial reality that's controlled by aliens or whatever, but the idea that the internet is no longer real and that like everything in it is sort of fake and that people don't ma- don't care anymore. And I feel like we've been building to this for a while, but I, I, I'm, I've become kind of obsessed with this ever since the Instagram jet facade. Did you see this? <laughs> yeah. So, well, see, the thing is, though, is that in itself, I'm sure I remember going around like 12 months ago. It looked really familiar. Thing. It did look very familiar to me. Which is exactly, which is exactly lends, lends more credence to your idea, which is that none of this stuff is real and we're not even doing it. For no, it's like, it just keeps going around and around. And it's like, if okay, so if you, if, if you don't know what we're talking about, a photo got uploaded to Twitter this week that showed a fake jet 
that Instagram influencers can go into to take photos to make it look like they're on a private jet. Oh, okay. So the one that I'm remembering is not is this one. Like I've seen this one this week, but there was another one where there was someone who parked a private jet on a on a runway somewhere, like just outside of LA. So everyone could go and take the photos of them going up the steps to the private jet. That's so fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. I did not even I haven't even seen that. That's I mean if you think think how expensive it is to run a private jet, it's gotta cost a huge amount of money and fuel and I don't know, airport fees. And if you just have to pay the airport fees, leave the jet there, you'll probably make a decent amount of money from it. I bet you could. I mean, it's essentially Airbnb being your private jet. If you have a spare private jet, then I would recommend you do that. So I feel like that, what we're talking about right now, this, what we're talking about, used to piss people off. And now it's like not even a ripple. Like people are just like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I think now the people people understand that they're looking at stuff that is not quite real it's pseudo real and they're like oh they're not saying oh you've betrayed me they're saying oh i could do this right and it's also like it doesn't really bother people like there used to be this thing i think where i think would go viral or become really really popular on the internet and then we would do the whole second week follow-up where we would discover that it was all artificially created and then none of it was real and we were all we would all feel duped into sharing this thing that was created to be shared which is a strange feeling anyways and it wasn't authentic, and then we would all forget about it, and it would kind of ruin the whole like, experience. And I feel like that no longer is true. It was a different flavor of milkshake duck, effectively. Yeah, it's not so much milkshake duck as it is like... Um, lemonade duck. A lemonade duck, which sounds like a piss thing. But yeah, it sounds like... <laughs> yes. And I feel like there was a moment in which we all sort of decided we no longer care if the experiences we're having online and the things that we're sharing are authentic anymore and i wonder when that happened so do you want me to put a day on it because i'm no pretty sure when i'm gonna put the day on it oh yeah do it i do it uh never before 2016 i think it was the moment that trump got elected like that was the turn because the turn became suddenly the idea of things being fake stopped mattering because everyone understood that just because it's fake it doesn't lose its impact because its impact is it can get someone liked and so this kind of understanding that okay the news is mostly fake everything is fake to some greater or lesser degree um means that stuff like this becomes normalized and now people are like oh no it's fake that's fine i just no, it's fake. I mean, that would ex- definitely explain the reaction to his tax returns this week, in which I feel Super like weird. many people in the media expected it to drop like a bomb. And I can tell you, as the relative of some pretty hardcore Trump supporters, it did not. <laughs> it did not go the way <laughs> you would think it would go. In fact, I, a lot of- I, do, I do think it would have had more impact like last time around. The reason I think it didn't have an impact this time was partly this, but partly also because all the things in it were the things that we found out anyway over the course of the last four years. Which keeps happening, right? Like, it's sort of like the Bob Woodward thing, too, where he's like, Trump was downplaying the effects of the coronavirus. And everyone was like, oh. and then everyone else was like, yes, but he told us that. And we knew that he... Repeatedly. Repeatedly. And 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 what's so crazy is that, like, in this, like, we, we need to put a name on, on this. And hopefully by the end of today's episode, we will have done that. <laughs> But this phenomenon that I'm talking about means that even the reveal of something being inauthentic is in and of itself inauthentic. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's it's a weird thing of this kind of like everything is now commercialized so early on that you expect there to be an inauthentic reveal. Um, now let's go back to TikTok houses from a few weeks ago, but there was one that just appeared in the UK called the the Wave House. Okay. Uh, and the whole bit of it was uh, that they, they basically were slowly revealing the influencers who were on it. So each day they reveal a new one. Oh, okay. Uh, and it was it was hosted by this one TikToker and then he revealed the other six TikTokers. And as soon as you look into it, um, obviously the, the, they're all owned by... All their managers are the same content management company, which is also uh, doing ad deals for them. So if you go into their profile, then they're all like uh, pushing you to the same photo editing app. Okay. So it's essentially all a big thing for a photo editing app, which both was one of those things which I sort of looked at and I was like, wow, that's crazy and also feels normal. Right. Like, I would assume that they're doing, obviously they're organized because they've got a big house and they're renting a house and they're doing this release. Is it any different to the six of them getting together to try and do a content thing than it is a company saying, hey, the six of you are going to get together and do this thing and also put this thing in your bio that you're going to promote? It's effectively the same thing. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it would be like revealing that BTS works for a management company. Yeah, exactly. It's like, sure, okay. And it's like, yeah, the boy band has a record label. Of course they do. Um, by the way, 
I really like the song Dynamite. It's like stuck in my head all the time now, and I can't stop like hearing it on a loop in my head. I've I've honestly not heard it. Um, it looks good. There's a there's a part that's like da 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 dynamite over and over, and it's just in my head all day long now. We, we had a fun crossover this week uh, in the UK where some BTS members found a person who hates someone. Someone said some mean things about BTS, and obviously the BTS people got very angry, uh, and then uh, attacked this ex labor activist who everyone on labor twitter hates or everyone on sort of like corbyn twitter hates uh for reasons pertaining to something that happened like three years ago that no one fully remembers but everyone just hates her uh and so for some reason there was this weird unholy alliance between like pro corbyn twitter trolls and bts fans oh wow that is super weird yeah, it was it was really weird and really fun, but they were all kind of going through and, and finding all of the receipts from the last like three years of this one activist being super weird to everyone. I feel like though this is part of it, and I guess this is yeah. I, I my, okay. I guess what I'm what I want to sort of articulate, and I think you've expressed shades of this before as well. But it feels to me like the internet is a series of multi level marketing schemes within multi level marketing schemes, and it sure and. 15 years ago, that wasn't true. I think it was actually like spaces to socialize and hang out. And then there were places to make money and become popular. And I think those would have some crossover sometimes, but not all the time. And now I feel like, especially as someone who's like freelancing on my own now and like making this show and like reading a lot about like, you know, newsletters and podcasts and all these things, I have this weird feeling all the time that I'm like one step away from being sucked into a pyramid scheme. <laughs> and I sure. and I feel like Twitter is essentially just a series of pyramid schemes and I feel like TikTok definitely is a pyramid scheme and I feel like like hype houses are just pyramid schemes I I feel like once I started seeing the way all of the incentives on the internet now are structured around like building a following and monetizing your following and then like being like showcased by the platform for being really good at building your following and monetizing your following and it's like that's just a fucking MLM that it, it's, 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 it's just a series of ways to make more money for this platform that you are now sort of like indebted to because like it's manipulating your emotions. Okay. I, li- I like, I like this. <laughs> I like this. This, this, this makes an awful lot of sense because there is a weird thing with always the idea that you're following is in some way valuable which it shouldn't be like right. the fact that people read your stuff is like doesn't make your stuff better or worse but you know we, we've heard instances of, of you know um co- pe- twitter comedians get booked on writing jobs on tv shows on the basis they've got a big following and it's not totally always that they've, they've got the right jokes for it but they've got a big following there was uh who was oh what's her name the 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 woman who does the imperts the lip syncs to donald trump yes Right, who is a classic example of like everyone really liked that, uh, and therefore that following then got her a Netflix show. Right, and I, I'm sure she's a good comedian. Like, I'm sure she has like other stuff out there, which is not just lip syncing to a Donald Trump speech. But what it means is that essentially what Netflix have looked at there is not, hey, you're going to make great stuff. It's hey, you are going to be a valuable asset for us because you are going to bring people to subscribe to us. Right, and that's not real like it's not i mean uh, i think her name is sarah cooper is her sarah cooper yeah that's the name so sarah cooper is a really interesting example of this because not only is like her whole deal pretending to be the president via lip syncing (laughs) but it's also like which i feel is important to point out was stolen off a different viral video that was like three weeks before she did her first one it's also just like a it's been a trope forever but what's also interesting is that she's been criticized very heavily because like she's not really that big on tiktok but journalists like yeah, it's her. not it, it is a way to match up it, it, she's just using it as a tool and then going viral on twitter right pretending it, she's viral on tiktok which is like fine because there's also like an entire and this goes to like my my fucking mlm thing again but there's an entire pocket of people in the media who basically take tiktoks off of tiktok upload them to twitter where they go viral and then they build a reputation of being people who like look at twi- TikTok, and like that's not a bad thing in and of itself. But it's like yeah. Sarah Cooper basically exploited a like weird content shadow economy of bootlegging TikToks on Twitter for adults to look at who don't want to deal with TikTok. And none of this is 
bad in and of itself, but it starts to compound into like this really bizarre system that makes me feel totally insane because I'm just like, it's just, I don't even know what the word for it is because I don't have an economics background, but it feels wrong (laughs) and it feels, it also feels unsustainable because it's like everything is just like funneling into other systems and no one is paying attention to like what's happening here or really even care when we find out, you know, three months from now that like X bad person was doing Y bad thing inside the crav- the cracks of this weird broken content economy because like none of it really matters and it's all ephemeral and like, you know, Sarah Cooper's Netflix show might happen. It also might be totally kicked under the rug because like I have no idea what it's going to look like I just I don't know I don't know anything about her other than that she pretends to be Donald Trump and her videos are pretty funny I've watched them but at the same time like I don't understand where any of this is going I mean yes I agree agree (laughs) with that I think I think one there are kind of two ways to look at one is the idea that you know this is all essentially a big grift uh, is an MLM thing the other version of of way to look at this is that this is the 20 uh what was I can't remember when he wrote it, but it was a, it was a I can't remember the name of the book either, but it was a disciple of Marx. Oh, oh boy. Okay. Well, one of Marx guys, guys in, we, in the 1920s. After, wrote after, uh, after uh, <laughs> 22 episodes, The Content Minds is finally doing it. All right. Quote Marx. I've definitely, I've definitely mentioned Marx before. <laughs> um, no, but but it was it was the idea that, that one person thought that the ultimate goal of society should be that people make art. Like, that's kind of it. Like, you, you get to the point where you keep getting your weekly hours lower and lower and lower so you know we're working 40 hours a week and we're working 60 in the 1950s or whatever and the idea is that keeps getting lower because everything gets more efficient and rather than them becoming a society of like everyone constantly trying to work more and make more money everyone goes great i'm gonna get time back it's kind of the like you know the three hour three three hour week uh and stuff like that yeah where then the rest of the time you're making you're making art, you're making content, you're making whatever the hell you want to do, or or not making it, just consuming other people's. You're posting the I- feet pics on OnlyFans, just as Mark, yeah. just as Mark's intended for you to show feet <laughs> on the yeah. internet. I should stress, this isn't Mark's. Uh, I just can't remember <laughs> the name of the guy who did do it. Um, uh, just in case anyone thinks that I'm like misquoting Mark's, um, which would be a, be a nightmare. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think there is a, a way that you could look at this and say this isn't so much a, a big scam as it is this is the end point of society where everyone doesn't have to work because we we have, uh, you know, we can produce food without requiring backbreaking labor all day and everyone can just make things they like and consume things they like. And that's like the end goal. The problem, of course, is that's not what's happening and everyone has to do this on top <laughs> of working like 45 hours a week. Right. No, we're still being exploited by the old system, but now we're being exploited by a secondary new system that lives on top yeah. of it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, I'm gl- first off, I'm glad that uh, I don't sound insane because, like, I, I, I'll be honest, I spent, like, all week leading up to this being like, all right, I want to talk about how the internet is just a series of multi-level marketing schemes and it's making me feel insane, but I'm glad that you agree. I was hoping you could explain, this is important, uh, but I swear, but can you tell the story of Millie B and the Soph Aspen scent? Oh, jeez. Okay. Um, this is... Oh boy, this is uh, so this was a long time ago, and it's stuff that I kind of vaguely recall. It was a very weird period in internet history. I'm gonna say it was about 2014, 2015, uh, tw- 2016, 2016. It was 2016. Yeah. Okay. So what happened was that a a group of people in Blackpool uh, were discovered by um, they weren't really discovered by anyone. There was <laughs> so what happened was. In mid-2016, uh, a group of literal children um, <laughs> started a, 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 a YouTube channel called Blackpool Grime Media. The idea being these guys were, you know, doing grime, but in Blackpool. Grime is a uh, form of British hip-hop. Um, it is characterized by being a little faster. The beats are kind of like closer to EDM. Uh, and what's notable about this group, I think we should point out, is that they were white, which is not typical yes. for grime artists. Uh, to be fair, not all of them were, but okay. the ones who broke out. Okay. I'm not going to suggest about why that was, mm. but racism. Probably has nothing to do with the way British media works at all. No. Yeah. Uh, so what happened is that then people saw this and, you know, there were obviously other grime channels going on at the moment. Most of them were in London. Uh, 
place things like uh, SBTV, um, JDZ Media. They were both the popular ones at the time. And basically, yeah, these kids were like, oh, we can we can do this as well, which, you know, is, is not a hugely unchild thing to do. Yeah. Like, I'm sure a bunch of, like, 13-year-old kids are often, you know, they get guitars and they think they're uh, Green Day or... I'm, I'm I'm trying to time this as what we were thirteen. Like, what what band were people cool oh. kids trying to trying to be? Yeah, yeah. I I wanted to be Blink One Eight Two. I still want to be Blink One Eight Two. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I will I will get there eventually. I swear. Exactly. Um. But then what happened is that obviously because this stuff was on YouTube, it then started picking up because they were like, there are these children doing it, and it's quite funny. They were all clearly like under sixteen, but being like super like offensive to each other. Uh. And then Vice did their vice thing of taking it right kind of slightly too seriously yeah and being like this is a new scene and it's not really a new scene but what was happening is there was a guy involved with it who was uh basically just a good cameraman which is often how this stuff happens like one guy has a semi-decent camera and can you know figure out how to reconstruct shots that he's seeing in actual grime videos in blackpool with some children um and as a result like it becomes this thing of a couple of them uh, break out particularly uh this millie b and uh sophie aspin right and they're then doing these kind of crazy um kind of crazy videos where they're having uh arguments with each other they're like di- they're like di- they're like diss tracks basically yeah channel four are then gonna do a like documentary on them at one point i don't think they ever came out no 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 i watched it the other day it's uh it's extremely grim <laughs> okay it did and, it, and then it was sort of revealed like if i get this correct it was sort of revealed that they were all part of like this like weird entertainment group right well it wasn't so much an entertainment group because i suspect there wasn't anything like formal about it it was just a thing that they could do so they sort of might as well Oh, um like okay. they were all part of the they were they weren't so much part of the same group as they were part of the um they were part of the same collective but that's kind of how this stuff always develops i don't think there was ever a formal thing behind it but what did grow out of it is that some of those people went on to be quite big in other bits and pieces uh like if you pick through them one of the guys uh is now uh nico the guy who is a youtuber who uh did a load of stuff with tommy robinson rallies like oh uh, oh he like did he did the stuff where he went to the Tommy Robinson rallies and was like, hey, I'm part of the NDL. Will you sign up for it? Like he was the, the guy who was pranking the Tommy Robinson rallies. Okay. Tommy Robinson, by the way, for listeners, is a like a famous far-right soccer hooligan asshole. He's kind of like British Alex Jones, but different. Yeah. Uh, probably. He's close to, pretty, close to, I don't know who he's right to, but whatever. That's not important. Yeah. Um, so the reason I asked about it is because uh, this week I wrote about this in Garbage Day, but it's been like bothering me and I... I need to like talk it through is that that song is the reason why this woman named Bella porch went viral on TikTok last month. Bella is a woman, uh, that no one's sure how old she is. She says she's 19, but she also might be 23 or 24. She makes lip sync videos where she uses like a face filter that makes her face move in an artificial looking way. And she went viral singing along or lip syncing along to the Millie B send, the So Fastbin song or whatever it was. Yeah, which was the, the send was the specific song where they, they got but basically just saying weird school ground, basically school schoolyard taunts at each other. Yeah. But in a in a grime way. Right. I mean, yeah. And and Millie B's video is great because it's her like looking disinterested at a KFC, just like rapping about how like this girl's bad at putting on makeup. So it's like pretty sure. good. Um, but so Bella Porch lip synced it as part of a viral trend on TikTok, and then recently the YouTuber Def Noodles realized that Bella Porch, who just sort of materialized out of thin air over the spring, is being managed by a company called Baz Media. Baz Media is founded by a man named Danny Kang. Danny Kang is part of a viral marketing firm that tried to buy the egg in 2019. Right. Oh, yeah, of course, the egg. (laughs) And he came to London to literally try to buy the viral Instagram egg. And I feel like there is no better summation of the state of the Internet right now than the idea of like one artificially inflated thing from the U.K., like internet scene in 2016 inspiring a Chinese algorithm to turn that into a meme, which then allows a girl who kind of appeared out of nowhere after being created by a digital marketing firm to lip sync along to it. turns out her account is promoting songs, which are remixed for TikTok videos 
and those accounts that are making those songs are also owned by or or signed with Baz Media. So it's like, see see how this see how this is starting to like. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, so I think this the Baz Media do this the other way around. So what Baz Media do is they sign them after the song goes viral. No, no, because so the, the two accounts that are working for Baz Media, one is called Goal Sounds, and I think the other one is called something else. Those two accounts make they make songs that then get disseminated across Twitter, and then they manage the rights to them. So they make like TikTok right, optimized okay. remixes to try to get them to go viral. Right. Okay. Yeah. See, this is all where this comes from, which is also that everyone's kind of it leans a little bit to the idea of this being um, MLM, but everyone's just trying on like fifty different ways at the same time. Uh, you know, they say they've got dozens of these. There'll be loads of these that aren't working, but they could just find a few that do, and therefore it's worth reaching out and having as many of this, basically as many tendrils everywhere as they can. Right. And it's like. It's almost, it's like to create a successful internet company, you have to create your own MLM, which then fits parasitically inside of larger MLMs. <laughs> and it's like, we, you know, we, we've spent a lot of time on this show talking about the state of digital media and how it is, you know, obviously broken. And it's like, yeah, of course it is, because the entire way of making money on the internet now relies on so many systems that don't work and so many people who are like, manipulating those systems that it's like imagine you played a video game in which every single person had cheat codes that's exactly what it's like and and the hacking now lasts such a small amount of time like it, people start to hack the algorithm and then figure out how to and then do it for a day and then something changes and then and then everyone is copying them so people trying to sort of stay ahead are, are constantly coming up with this stuff and it's evolving at a very very fast rate which means none of it really lasts no. It's just a series of hacks that exist for a week. It's nonsense. And like I and I and I guess like my 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 question that I have about all of this stuff is like does it matter? I think what you're effectively getting at is that the metatextuality of the internet is now exists on its on its own essentially. So the idea that everything is interacting with each other and can only be understood by reference to other things around it. Um, which is effectively, yeah, which is effectively what metatextuality is. Oh man, this episode. So we've got Marx. We got the word metatextuality. <laughs> I feel like we're doing really, really good this week. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think that's the, what I'm trying to describe. Is that like we have we there was first a phase where nothing was real on the internet because it didn't matter, and then there was a phase where everything had to be real on the internet. And then there was a phase where we kept finding out that everything was fake on the internet, and now we've entered a phase where it doesn't matter that everything's fake on the internet. Yeah, exactly. So the idea is is that what we've gone through is a series of periods where you understand different texts, different different uh, things that are created, whether that's a YouTube show or a tweet or whatever, as individual texts. And now we've approached a point where it is now all a meta text. So the concept of the internet and the concept of this own reality with its different layers and with its different texts Communicating, having their intertextuality between each other forms the internet as a as as a meta text, and that's how you now understand this. You read bits of it, you read parts of it, but you are essentially consuming one part of a larger whole rather than reading reading the stuff that exists on its own. It's like waking up and trying to figure out why everyone's talking about ice cubes. Yeah, exactly. That's it. It's but that's it, right? It's like it's no like the the internet is now so large and so vast. And so interconnected, but also so broken in how it's interconnected, that it is functionally impossible to really understand where things are coming from, why things are happening. Also, like the internet doesn't stop, and everything's informing each other. So there's, I think there there may have been moment, there may have been an era where you could kind of say like, okay, this is the start of this thing, and this is the end of this thing, like the Harlem Shake. We can go like, okay, this is where the Harlem Shake came from, and this is when everyone stopped doing the Harlem Shake, and that is over. And now I feel like those moments are happening so fast and yet simultaneously not happening at all because everything is just bleeding into itself. And also it's happening simultaneously across so many different parts of the internet that like to talk about why this girl, Bella Porch, who is now like, I think like the 17th most followed person on TikTok and is gaining <laughs> like hundreds of thousands of followers every hour. To talk about why she's important requires us to know the story behind a 2016 viral video from the UK that had its audio stripped and then uploaded to TikTok. And it's like, that's crazy. 
Like that's 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 both incredibly important and also nothing at the same time. Yeah, I'd agree with that. There are these weird these weird links do exist, and means that everything everything can both be understood as part of the wider the wider meta text. Um, but also the you can understand it without that. Yes, like you can just say this is just funny on its own. So it's that kind of context dependent thing, which makes it quite strange. Yeah, it does. Like literally today. In the in the lead up to our show, um, I was sent a video from Joe.co.uk or whatever. Yeah. Have you seen the um the Oh the Wigan the thing. Wigan kebab smack barm pay wet babies yed video? Yeah. <laughs> I mean it's just it's just a regional thing. Like I this is one of those ones where everyone goes like, Isn't this crazy? And your answer is kind of like it's like, yeah, it's just, it's a weird phrase, man. We've got a lot of weird phrases uh, for and pe- everything's slightly different. Everywhere. For people listening, it's a video from 2019 uh, done by like a British digital media company. And it's like a, you know, a food video. And it's about a local delicacy called the Wigan Kebab, which is, from what I can tell, just like a meat pie between two pieces of bread that you eat like a sandwich. And then a smack barm, which is a fried piece of potato with pea water, like, pea, <laughs> like, 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 like mushy pea water <laughs> on it and then uh a baby's yed is like a is like a steak pudding that you eat on french fries yeah that's exactly that's exactly what it is but i um, but like i don't understand why this 2019 video appeared in my feed today and it doesn't really even matter and it kind of goes back to like this thing i was talking about last week with like my dad thinking that facebook has to have like a reason for showing him things and it's like without I mean, anyone in charge like random shit is just happening all the time and like I don't know where it's going anymore. I think I used I think to. Funnier, I think what's funny about that is that this stuff is made for a very specific purpose, and it, it makes sense. Like a, a thing that people always respond to is if you have a small community and only your community knows about a thing. For example, a Wigan kebab or smack bum pay wet or a babby's yed. Um, <laughs> all of which I'm not doing in a Wigan accent because I really can't do one. Um, if you have this stuff and you only know about it in your small area, the more specific that thing is, the more likely you are to respond well to it. So, you know, if you if you if you see something that's like, here's what it was like growing up in America, you're gonna be like, Well, that's not hugely specific. I will probably not know that. If they say, Hey, here's what it was like to grow up on your street in your in the year that you grew up, uh, and then mentions like the weird tree at the end of the road, you're gonna be like, Wow, I really recognize this is very specific to me. So what this actually stuff exist for is that people are trying to find the sweet spot between scale like what's the biggest audience that will respond to this and specificity what's the audience that will um respond ag- ag- aggressively enough to it, or that will re-engage with it and so you end up with content like this which is a slightly odd content if you look at it from outside you're like well, why does this exist man you're just eating some food like <laughs> and it's pretty it's pretty normal food it's it's like well you know, it's-, it's not that normal food like it's okay it's normal british food yeah okay but yeah sure it's 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 ice cubeless water and and a warm savory pie you know but what no is a wigan so a wigan kebab is uh basically um a a, a pie in a sandwich is is what it effectively (laughs) um but it's called a wigan kebab but i've also seen a similar pie in a sandwich concept like in different places in the uk but if you call it um some I think, oh, hang on, I'm trying to remember one of them because uh, did not have them where I grew up. Uh, oh, yeah. So in you can also call it a pie balm or a pie face, which is uh, a slightly different bit of the bit of the country. Um, so yeah, you have these different things that exist in other places. But if you call it something else, it will then appeal to someone in a different area. What that the internet does though is creates this really weird context where you're saying like, hey, I'm going to appeal specifically to this group of people who live in Wigan. What you're effectively then doing is putting it out on the internet where other people discover it and say, I don't understand why this exists. What why what is this and why is everything in here strange? Because you don't understand the references that it's making. And I feel that gives the whole thing just this bizarre pseudo reality thing where you're just like looking at other people's content. I, I think it I think that's exactly correct. It's context it's it's context collapse, but it's also like the context collapse is on purpose and like part of why it's going viral. And so you have this like weird facsimile that's being shared and like, you know, I've I have in my head all day but just been saying wigan kebab, smock barm, pay wet, babies yet over and over in my head. Because it's a really funny phrase. 
And also, like, it's gross looking. Uh, as someone who's a big connoisseur of chippies, it's fucking gross looking. But it's weird to me. It's weird to me that, like, this is normal now. And that, like, we all just, like... And, like, you've been talking about, like, all the weird fights that just, like, happen on British Twitter, like, every single day. And they just, like, come out of nowhere. And then they just happen. And then we, like, treat them like they're normal. And I guess, like... When, I mean, they happen, they happen on all Twitter. I feel like the... Oh, yeah. a hot dog or sandwich fight happens once every six weeks. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, and there's there's a, there's dozens of them where you're just like, oh, we're having this again. Like I'm half dead. You, you know, if, if you're cynical, what you do is you'd go back to the last fight, find the most viral tweet from it, and just quote tweet with that again, and be like, all right, here we go. We've done this before. Like yeah. we've been doing this for six years now. I actually watched a video yesterday of a woman who takes like a bunch of cans of potatoes and cans of carrots and cans of peas, and then dumps them into a crock pot. And then she's like, I make this for the kids every week. It's great. And then that's the whole thing. And I was like completely beside myself. I was like, what is this? What am I looking at? And then I was I was compelled to start rage tweeting about it. And then I didn't, which is, I think, progress. It, that's growth. But I guess like not, nothing we've really talked about is insidious. Well, uh, no, no, it is insidious, but it's, it's not nefarious, like really. But it is strange that we are no longer at a point now and maybe it's the coronavirus. I don't know. I don't know why it is this way. And maybe it is Trump. But like the things that we look at all day don't really matter anymore. And that's freeing, but also strange. And I feel like it's like a strange way to live now. I don't know about that it doesn't matter anymore, but it certainly feels like the the scale on which we look at stuff is just way out of whack. Like the number of people who got get angry about like the ice cube thing, because like it's easy to get angry about and they know how to play the game and it's good for their followers. So I, I guess like the last like stage of this are like fake people. Like, did you ever follow like the little Maquila thing? The little Maquila thing was very strange. So I mean, all of this stuff is strange. All of this stuff is strange. But like, so Katie Natopoulos, friend of the show, uh, and uh, I guess friend of myself as well, like someone I unfortunately <laughs> know. Uh, she um, she's a very good tech journalist. Please follow her on the internet. Yada yada yada. Um, Katie Natopoulos. Uh, has like a rule that she like will not write about um, artificial influencers and like VR influencers because she just thinks they're like not like no one gives a shit and like it's not notable. And I think she's correct, but I also think it's like not notable in the sense that now like nobody cares that they're not real. Yes. And I would also go one step further, which is like the idea that, okay, let me ask you this. Are any influencers real? Well, I mean, if you think about it, Kim Kardashian is essentially a simulation. Like, you know, yeah. All the, of the Kim Kardashian, the Kim Kardashian that appears online, is a simulacra of what the actual Kim Kardashian is. Right, and no one cares. <laughs> like no, yeah, no exactly. one cares. But, but equally, every influencer is now doing that. Like they understand the bits that people don't want them to put online, and the bits they do want people to put them online. And this isn't just about like filtering to the best version of yourself. It's saying like, okay, my version, the version of myself on tiktok is going to be different to the version of myself on youtube which is different to the version of myself on twitter there are minor differences yeah. between them but you do create a different persona on each platform so effectively what you've got is you have your genuinely artificial influences like uh lil McQuilla and all those sorts of things but fundamentally everyone else is also fake in that they are creating a version of themselves that they think is going to go viral right it's like it's like how i have a twitter account where i am a fox and i'm like a sexy fox and that's like that's a fake version of myself you know my fursona lives over there yeah exactly um and <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. It's if you wanted to create a fake version of yourself, it was a fox or any other animal. Like obviously, there's there's a lot of select like a, a, like a wolf animals to choose from. Like a wolf, um, yeah. You got to think about tails, man. Like, yeah, yeah. No, I I think you're right. Like I don't think anybody cares because everyone now is doing it. Whereas five years ago, people I think did care because not a lot. Like now, I think everyone kind of thinks of themselves as influencers, even if they don't think of themselves as one. And five years ago, that wasn't true. So there was still like outrage when you would discover like, you know, like there's that subreddit Instagram versus reality, which is just a, it's basically just a hate subreddit for women. It's awful. Yeah. It's disgusting. But I think that like that mentality was a lot more mainstream five years ago. And now like everyone's just like, oh yeah, of course you look different. Whatever. Look, if I was being cynical and I was like, okay, I want to start a social media company that's going to make a lot of money in a short period of time. What you would do is go and to a probably 
uh, an acting school or, or whatever it would be and say, hey, everyone, um, I need you to uh, perform TikToks for me. I'll pay you a good day rate, so I say £200 a day or whatever. Uh, and then you just own the accounts and you say, hey, you do this. I pay you £200 a day. We run the accounts for you. Uh, we'll just tell you what to make. You optimize, you edit it, and then eventually you own the accounts. Uh, and you make this successful thing, uh, rapidly convert that into selling uh, whatever you're linking to, an app, uh, uh, maybe just sending traffic to a website. Like you could literally just sell the traffic. That might be the easiest way to do it. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and you create your own fake influencers. Like that would be an effective way to do it because you'd be able to sell them really effectively. And you'd also be able to go to c- companies and say, I can guarantee you this person is not going to have a weird racism incident because we own the accounts. So, I mean, hilariously, Bella Porch, the uh, like kind of made up TikTok influencer, has had two uh, racist incidents um, because her real life past is being discovered because she's reaching like a scale in which people are interested in it. And I think like that is something interesting where it's like her real life is colliding with like her facade, which is like cute girl dancing in a McMansion. And it's, it's like ugly because I think the simulation can break down. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of maybe how the Democrats could defeat Trump in 2020, (laughs) (laughs) which is like, if you can erode the simulation enough and it takes a long time because every facet of our society wants to keep the simulation going because like it's making money. But if you can break yeah. it down, it's going to be ugly and it's going to be it's going to be like pretty messy, but it can be broken down. I think I, I think I think we can have our matrix moment. I I, I think <laughs> I think this is the matrix. moment. The matrix moment is the point at which everyone realizes the Internet is now a meta text and none of this matters. So, like, are you saying that, like, by listening to the content minds, you are taking the red pill? <laughs> You're not going there. <laughs> So, Luke, what content are you consuming to stay sane this week? Um, well, I really enjoyed the debate. That really helped me. Uh, I felt very sane after watching that. Did you? Did you feel good? I did not feel good. I felt very bad about that debate. Oh, that was uh, really something. I stayed to watch it here. I had to day off. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I might as well. And it is a, it is a very weird thing to watch on your own at like two a.m. As everyone, it was. It was very strange. Oh, yeah. You would have to stay up late for it. Yeah. What I will say, one interesting thing about it was that I made the call that I was not going to look at Twitter during it. Yeah. Which I successfully did. So I just watched the debate and like to try and like kind of, I don't want to draw my own conclusions, but I also just, I'm just not going to look at Twitter afterwards and then see what everyone thinks of it. And it felt kind of crazy to me because everyone got so hyper about it. And it was pretty much what I expected to happen, which was... Donald Trump was going to yell a lot, say three to four things that were like genuinely scary, had a president who knew what he was saying, said them, or been competent at attempting to enact what he's saying, said them. Uh, Joe Biden was not good uh, in a way that was unnerving. But it was broadly like a chaotic mess. And I was like, that's pretty much what I was expecting to happen. And then it cut over. So I was watching it on CNN and then it cuts immediately to CNN. And like the first person after it is like, well, that was ridiculous. Uh, it seems likely that there'll never be a presidential debate again. Uh, and I was like, uh, that's probably a bit far. And I do think everyone kind of lost perspective on it a bit. Like, it was pretty ridiculous. Uh, but also, I think people who are watching that without Twitter would have just thought, this is just annoying and pointless. So Not, this I, is insane. I watched it with my dad. Sure. Which was an interesting experience. I was on Twitter. He was not. Yeah. He did not seem to like it. Um... His take this morning was that uh, the media kind of drummed it up to be like some sort of big event, but like nobody even watched it. That's that, that was his take as of this morning, which is actually true. The ratings, at least the early ratings, say that it was about 36% down from the first debate of 2016. Wow. So people weren't really watching it. Uh, we have not, me and him, talked policy or any sort of like real details <laughs> about it, but I think, I think it was a bad debate. Um, I think it was ugly. I think there were some moments that disturbed me as a human being, particularly around Joe Biden's sons. I thought that was really unpleasant. I think there, I I think there Trump pushed him into a, a, a place where I felt like icky to watch it. I felt it felt exploitative and dark in a way that it made me really uncomfortable as a person. And I think if that 
didn't make you feel that way, like you're not a good person. <laughs> like I, I do, I do also think though that 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 was very very bad for Trump. Like he didn't, he came across not just I am alpha and powerful. He came across as I am mean, like really unpleasant. I think I think that is definitely true, and I think there there was probably a turning point for a lot i'm hoping i'm hoping for some americans last night where they realized like the tough guy act isn't the tough guy act so much as like he's a despicable person um and then they have to decide whether or not they want to follow him down that road right um uh i also think that we're now entering a phase where like we can't really pretend like things are normal anymore i i think this show i think on the content minds, we we a couple episodes ago we talked about the election and we were I think we were both very level headed about it. I, I'm feeling less level headed about it because I think I'm more level headed. This is this is I like I if I've written the script, this is what I would expect to happen. I, I just think there are some really real concerns about the election being illegitimate, um, and Trump not leaving power that need to be talked about. And I felt very crazy this morning watching the news clips about the debate. And seeing everyone try to act like this was like something that we should all take normally and be like, well, let's uh, break down Trump's debate style. And it's like, what fucking debate style? What are you talking about? This isn't normal. None of this is normal. Like we can't like, like I, I, I think it's all very insane now and we need to just accept that it's insane and, and talk about it because then maybe we can fix it. But to pretend like business as usual right now to me is just very odd. I think it's very odd. I, I my counterargument to that is that I think this is usual. Um, I think that Trump is still doing what he's been doing for the last four years. Like you know, he is who we thought he was, and I don't think that's changing. And I think that people or enough people have gone, yeah, actually, I don't like this. And so the other thing I've been doing this week is reading the um, Left Out book, which is the book that just came out about the. Corbyn project between 2017 and 2019 kind of the fe- they're basically the lead up to the election where they did not win yeah yeah uh, they, they didn't win the first but they did you know, better than expected and what it, it really cemented for me the idea that you know the lightning doesn't strike twice like you can't bottle lightning twice um, and that's what he did in the first time he got lucky with the electoral college he got lucky with his opponent he got lucky with just everything broke right for him and that does everything doesn't break right for you twice and I think that what we're seeing is like this is pretty crazy but also we're demonstrating, you know, Biden has a good and consistent lead. He's leading in all the right places. He's leading with all the right, right people. And I think that is, to a certain extent, going to return to a, a version of a norm. I think that's true. And, and I do, I think the, the one thing that calming me down is that the ugliness that came out last night, like, I think there are enough people who aren't full Trump team in the conservative corners of the government that maybe we can, like, pull out of this I, this is exactly it like again the, the the to use the corbyn analogy again uh some corbyn's second leadership election when he got elected to the labor party again in 2016 like 70 odd percent of labor members voted for him then this time around 55 60 percent of labor members voted for someone who's ideologically kind of the exact opposite of me and keir starmer so you're then kind of looking at it like oh so is this the same people and it is it's mostly the same people who went like, all right, we tried that. Didn't like that. We're going to try something else. And I think next time around, you know, Trump Jr. will try and run in 2024, if not Trump himself. I, I think and- Ivanka. I mean, I honestly think we could see an Ivanka, an Ivanka Michelle Obama, like... Ticket. Ticket. T- <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Um, no, I, I think, I honestly think Michelle Obama and Ivanka Trump are... Well, okay. So actually my... If I want to go like super science fiction-y, like real like big brain thoughts... I yeah. sort of suspect that Trump's loss could mean a full schism of the Republican Party and that we end up having like two conservative parties in America. And one of them disappears and it will probably be the Trump one. Like that's the thing. Like when you get to this, there'll be a half dozen Republican Congress and we go with him and a half dozen senators. And then the other senators are going to go like, actually, I'm going to stay here because they control the committees and I want this plum job on the defense committee and if i do come with you i'm not going to get that and then no one will go and you know yeah trump jr will try and get in the primaries and he'll get destroyed because people will be like well we tried the like extremist maniac thing that wasn't great we're going to try a, a normal conservative who talks a lot about policies and fiscal responsibility oh god i just like i do think i that's would love happen. i would fucking love to listen to a fiscal conservative talk that'd be so yeah. nice 
That would be so less frightening than whatever's happening right now. That would be great. Just I would just like Mitt Romney to get up there and just say a bunch of shit that I mild, like I don't agree with and I think is bad, but like won't put my life in immediate danger. <laughs> that just sounds fantastic. Well, that content didn't make us sane this week, but um, no, if no. you do want to hear us talk more about content that we consumed, uh, the next episode of our Patreon exclusive podcast post post credit scene is going up this week. I watched Man of Steel this morning, and I have. A I also lot, watched Man of Steel this morning. I have a lot of fucking thoughts about this movie. So Luke and I are starting our journey to uh, our journey to the Snyder Cut. Um, we are spending the months of no Marvel movies um, catching up on the DC Entertainment Universe, which both of us are not very uh, big experts on. Uh, so definitely go check that out. It's uh, for if you pay five bucks to the Patreon, you can listen to them, uh, and we'll also take any requests. So we'll de- we'll derail our, our Snyder Cut journey to debate anything you want. So far, we've talked about the final season of Game of Thrones and whether or not The Last Jedi is a good movie. Um, so yeah, uh, we are we are there for your pleasure. Um, which sounds okay. weird. Um. Yeah, sorry. I, I got to think of a better way to put that. Um, so yeah, uh, go go check that out. Uh, Patreon.com slash The Content Minds. Um, yeah, I think that's it. My brain feels like mush from this week's episode, but I think in a good way. I think I think in a good way. Got it. Um, All right. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, that sounds good. Let's talk about Man of Steel. All right. I'll go see you on the other podcast. I'm going to go walk over cool. there now. Okay. Okay. <laughs>